At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. All right, we are in the book of Micah, and um, I am in verse 8. I'm an expository preacher. I preach book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and oftentimes word by word. And um, we have finished now Second Peter twice. First and Second Peter, we've gone through that twice. It's taken 25 years. Well, it will, it'll be 25 years by the time we get through Chronicles. When we get through Chronicles, if you've been with me for the last 25 years, you've gotten the whole Bible. You've gotten every book of the Bible preached book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. How many have been with me the last 25 years? You've gotten the whole Bible. All right, there you go. So, well, so where do we go now? And uh, I'm going to preach a topical message today, just some things that have been on my heart as we've been going through the Chronicles, and uh, we're towards the end of Second Chronicles, and some things that the Lord has just impressed on me, some thoughts. I, I preached this to the young people the other day in chapel, and I thought, you know what, I, I, I want to explore this topic some more, and I'd like to deal with that here this morning. And then where we end up next week and in the weeks after is up to the Lord. I appreciate your prayers about where to go. And uh, there's some books we haven't looked at in a long time. And uh, which ones to go back to, we'll see. There is here in the book of Micah. Micah was a man who was a prophet to the south. He, he uh, did his work during the reigns of Jotham, as we talked about last week's last Sunday night, Ahaz, which we're going to talk about tonight, Lord willing, and then Hezekiah, which is coming in just a little bit. He's a prophet. Um, the Bible says about this man, he was full of power to, um, as it says in Micah 3.8, I am truly full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgressions, and to Israel his sin. Wow. And um, there is a verse of Scripture. Um, as, he, as he goes through, his, his appeal to people is to hear. He says that in chapter 1, verse 2, hear. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1, hear. Chapter 6, verse 1, hear ye now. And when he gets to chapter 6 and verse 8, we see this precious verse, and maybe you have it marked in your Bible. It says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, in other words, do right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And that last little phrase there is what I'd like to talk to us about today, about walking humbly with our God. And as we do so, we're going to go back to the book of Second Kings, and I'd like to talk to you about... The, the theme that ties these people together that we're going to look at today is sickness. As we've been going through the kings, and I've been reading my Bible, there, have been, there are five sick kings, and every one of them had a problem, and that problem was pride. And so I want to take a look at these five fellas today and just look at the different shades of pride that each of them um, revealed in their life. 
And uh, I think this will be fun for us today as we look here, but I hope it will also be convicting because, again, um, we all need help. There's nobody who can say, you know, I've, I've cleansed my heart, I've got it all taken care of, I don't have any sin problems. Like Proverbs says, that we, all, we all face sin. We all deal with it all the time. And, boy, pride is just one of those things that is so sneaky. It comes and gets us all the time. So we're going to be in the book of Second. Second uh, Kings chapter 1. And I want to just read a couple verses here and then have a word of prayer and dive into the first fellow. So Second Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. There he is. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. So we're in 2 Kings 1.1, and uh, we've just taken a look here at Ahaziah. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would just help as we look in your word today and as we look at these five men and uh, their reigns and uh, their sickness and their struggles with pride and that we might be able to glean some things off of this and uh, that, Lord, that uh, the message today would be like Micah back in his days, Lord, if we have sin issues in our hearts, Lord, that we could, we could humble ourselves before you and walk humbly with you. So I ask for your help today and pray that you would work in all of our hearts. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ahaziah. You know, the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the Lord also says in the end times, he says, when the Lord comes back, will he find faith on the earth? And I think our big struggle in this day and age is with this thing of faith. Here's a man who lived back in 853 B.C. His name is Ahaziah, and he demonstrates for us here in this passage of Scripture unbelieving pride. And with each of these fellows, whether it's um, Ahaziah, unbelieving pride, or Jehoram, wicked pride, or Asa, rebellious pride, or Uzziah, presumptuous pride, or even Hezekiah in his unguarded pride, we're going to see some things here in all of these men. We're going to look at their sickness, but most of all, we're going to look at their sickness of pride that you see here. And this man, Ahaziah, he, he, is, he, he comes in as king. If you look over in 1 Kings chapter um, 22, right at the end of 1 Kings chapter 22, it talks about him. He is the son of Ahab. And the Bible says in verse 52 of chapter 22 of 1 Kings, he did evil on the side of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father, who is Ahab, and in the way of his mother, which is Jezebel, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And he, for he served Baal and worshipped him. To, and provoke to anger the Lord God of Israel according to all that his father had done. So he was just like father. And we're going to talk about his unbelief here today. And the first thing I just want you to note is his inherited unbelief. He got it honestly. His father was Ahab. His mother was Jezebel. So it doesn't surprise us to see a man who's just unbelieving. And such unbelief as is in the day of Ahab where Elijah is challenging the belief of God. He's saying, you know, God does live. And um, the, all of the wicked things that came in the days of Ahab. Well, you see this man here. He's, he falls out of his window 
On the second story, it appears, out of a lattice. Back in those days, they didn't have glass, but they had lattice work over the windows. I don't know if he tripped, what he did, but he fell out the window through the lattice and landed below, and he was a sick man. He was, obviously, there's infection, maybe broken bones. We don't know, but he's not doing well. And he wants to know if he's going to survive this. And so he sends to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Ekron was a, down in the Philistine down in the Philistine nation, down to the south, over by the Mediterranean Sea. And he could have just as easily sent to Jerusalem and found a prophet there. Uh, but, he, but he sends down to, he sends down to Ekron, to Beelzebub, to see if, there's, if, if he's going to live. And he goes to uh, that God. So he's very, as you read the passage of Scripture in verse 3, uh, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, he says, go up to, to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say unto them, is it not because there's not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from the bed on which thou art gone up, thou shalt, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. Right there, gave it to him, turned around, walked the other way. This man shows his unbelief, not only just, how, just in his inheritance, uh, he inherited unbelief, but he's so insensitive. Here is, here's the prophet that meets his messengers and tells them, look, your king has sent you to go to find out if he's going to live or die. He's going to die. Go and tell him. Well, that in itself was, was near miraculous that, that the prophet just meets them and tells them what they're, what they're looking for. But you see also in this thing, you see the message that he gives. He says, you're going to die. This man is so unbelieving. It, has no, it, it, it doesn't do anything to shake him. Later, we're going to look at Hezekiah. Hezekiah is told, you're going to die. What does Hezekiah do? Man, Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and he prays and uh, gets a hold of God. And God gives him an extra 15 years. Even Ahab in the book of 1 Kings, when Ahab is told that God is going to judge him, even Ahab humbles himself before God and, and puts on sackcloth and goes about softly um, because God's told him he's going to judge him. Even his father Ahab humbled himself. But this man has no humility at all. He's so proud in his unbelief. Remember, he lives in a day where they don't even believe God exists. And he gets the message, surely you're going to die. You're going to surely die. People get the same message today. The wages of sin is death. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And people mock at that. And they hear of the story of the rich man that dies and goes to hell being in torment and all of the suffering that is there. And it has no effect on him. It's like the gentleman I told you about the other day, the gentleman in the nursing home. He's in a nursing home. He's dying. And he says, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, that kind of unbelief is, is not going to do you well. And that's the kind of insensitive unbelief that that Ahaziah has. So the messengers come back. It says in verse 6 that the king says, in verse 5, he says, why are you back so soon? Well, we met this fellow. He told us you're going to die. And he said, why, why are you going down to Ekron, to Beelzebub down there? Isn't there a God in Israel that you can ask? 
And they said, what? He said, what manner of man was he that came to you in verse 7 and uh, that told you these words? Uh, well, he's a hairy man, girt with a girdle of a belt of leather about his loins. He's, uh, it's Elijah the Tishbite. I could almost hear him. I knew it. It's, a t- it's Elijah. <clears throat> now, I want to propose to you that his unbelief here is not just um, insensitive, but it's intentional. He knows exactly who Elijah is. And when the word comes from Elijah, he, he does not respond to it well. Elijah was the one that went to Mount Carmel and called down fire from heaven after the contest with the with prophets of Baal for a whole day. And Baal could do nothing. And then finally, when Elijah prayed, God sent fire from heaven that consumed the altar and the, everything that was on it and all of the water. And the 450 prophets of Baal were put to death that day. Ahaziah knows all about this. His belief is intentional. Like those in the book of 2 Peter that we just looked at not long ago when we were in that book. Who are willingly ignorant that the, by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water and the world and whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And people are just as intentionally ignorant today. There is evidence, particularly here in Grand Junction, there is evidence all over of a worldwide flood. And if you ever want to see it, you see it right here. And yet people, in the midst of all of the evidence of of God's judgment against that wicked pre-flood world, in, in, in light of all of that, People will take the the symbol of God's promise not to destroy the world with a flood again and make it a symbol of wickedness. And I'm talking about the rainbow. And you just think the audacity of the intentional unbelief. And not only is it intentional, it's it's insolent. In the passage of Scripture, here's what the king does in verse 9. In verse 9, he sends a captain of 50 with his 50, and he went up to him, and behold... Elijah sits on top of a hill, verse 9, and he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king has said, come down. Well, that's kind of disrespectful to the man of God. Um, But that's Ahaziah. He's speaking here. I mean, he's, he's behind this captain. Come down. Well, Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God, In other words, as if to say, if there really is a God, because the question from your family, Ahaziah, you and Ahab and Jezebel, the question is, does God even exist or does he live at all? But if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. Hey, let it happen again, just like it did on Mount Carmel. If there's really a God in heaven, let's, let's see it again so that you know that it's not just a coincidence what happened at Mount Carmel. Let fire come down and consume you in your 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. God is alive. And again, also, he sent unto him a captain of 50 with his 50. In other words, Ahaziah is just so insolent, so disrespectful. He is just so bold in his unbelief, the way the world is today, by the way. 
And he answered and said unto him, watch carefully what he says. O man of God, thus hath the king said, watch his words, come down, what's the next word? Quickly. Can you believe the unbelief? <laughs> Elijah answered and said unto him, if I be a man of God, in other words, if God is alive, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Listen, God is alive. Matter of fact, this scenario could keep going on all day if, there were not a hum- if it was not for a humble man. In other words, God could, God could send fire down every time. In the book of Revelation chapter 11, the two, the two witnesses that are there, and I believe one of them, my personal opinion is one of them is going to be Elijah. I think the other one's going to be Enoch, but that's all beside the point. That's just an opinion. But in Revelation chapter 11, when the Antichrist or anybody else tries to attack the, the two witnesses before their time, fire comes out of their mouth and destroys their enemies. And it happens every time. Anybody gives them a hard time. God can do it. And it is right in the face of insolent unbelief. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the third captain, the king hasn't changed his attitude, but the third captain, he comes with his 50 and he falls on his knees and he beseeches him, oh man of God, and he means it when he says it. I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 servants be precious in thy sight. He says, there came down fire and destroyed the last two groups. And let my life be precious in your sight. And God says, go down with him. And so Elijah went down with him, and he went and stood in the king's bedroom, and he pointed his bony finger in his face, and he says, you're going to die. And he turned around and walked out, and the man died. And not only was his unbelief in his pride insolent, but it was inadequate. His unbelief did no good to him. Hear me. Your unbelief, if you are insolent against God and you just say, you know, I don't believe in this God stuff, your unbelief is going to do you absolutely no good. You will die in your sin and you will spend eternity in hellfire. That's what unbelief does for people. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 6, in verse 47, this. He says, verily, verily, in other words, truly, truly, I say unto thee, you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now that'll do something for you. You put your faith in the Son of God who died for you and rose again, you will have eternal life right now. But you go on and you're insolent, proud unbelief. You will have nothing but a lake of fire. Let's look at the second man. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 21. This is a man who has a horrible sickness later on because of the judgment of God on him. His intestines fall out, and it takes a period of two years for him to die this way. His name is Jehoram. We read about him not long ago as we were going through Second Chronicles, and we hit this chapter, chapter 21. This is a man who has wicked pride. The other one had unbelieving pride. This is just wicked pride. 
He lives a little, he lives around 848, very close to the same time as Ahaziah. And matter of fact, they are contemporaries. And uh, you see a couple things about this man and his wickedness. And uh, he was um, married to Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. And a uh, couple things about him. He is just very proud in his wickedness. He has a pragmatic wickedness in his pride. And by that, I mean this. Let me just read for you. It says in 2 Chronicles 21, he had brethren, and it mentions his six brothers there. And verse 3, it says of 2 Chronicles 21, their father gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things with fenced cities in Judah. But the kingdom he gave to Jehoram because he was his firstborn. So now all of the Jehoram's brothers get special possessions and cities, but Jehoram gets the kingdom. When Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father and he strengthened himself, he slew all his brethren with the sword and diverse also the princes of Israel. So he just went and murdered all of his brothers. Anybody that was a support of them, he had them killed. And he's a murderer. He's just like Ahab. He's just like Jezebel. Remember Naboth's vineyard? He's just like his wife, Athaliah, who will one day murder the grandchildren so that she can take over the throne. It's a pragmatic wickedness. In other words, it means if it works, let's do it. And for Jehoram, this is unprecedented that a king of Judah would actually kill off the other royal seed so that he could ensure the throne. It had not ever been done. It was unheard of. But he was so, he was so wicked, he just said, look, this is going to work. This is what I'm going to do. People, people operate that way today. They'll do whatever wicked they thing they can think they can get away with because it, it, it supposedly works. People run churches this way. If it works, let's do it. Not only was it a pragmatic wickedness, it was a perverted wickedness. If you jump down to 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 11, he made a high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants, watch this, the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication. He caused the people of Jerusalem to commit fornication, sexual immorality, and also unfaithfulness to God. And he compelled Judah. That word compelled means he thrust them into it. Reminds me of uh, the doctrine of Balaam back in the book of Revelation, or the doctrine of Jezebel, that prophetess, back in the book of Revelation. I want to read you two verses back there. Revelation 2.14 to the church of Pergamos. I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols. In other words, all of the things that are sacrificed to demons, to, to, to partake of all of that, and to commit fornication, just sexual immorality. That teaching is in churches today. We eat things that are sacrificed to idols. I propose to you, and I know that just make, doesn't make people happy when I say this, I propose to you that the, that the rock and roll music that came out of the pit of hell, now that has been promoted, is now being promoted in churches today, lock, stock, I mean, just, just given over to it. That, that that kind of music is the kind of thing that's offered to idols, to the, to the wildness and the lasciviousness and the sensuality of the day, and now, now it's okay to, to do that. 
And then the immorality that goes along with that. And Jezebel, the prophetess, does the same thing over in chapter 2 and verse 20. It's a perverted wickedness. He, his enabler is his wicked wife. He, he endeavors to push people into this, and God punishes him. You look in verse 12. There came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet. Oh, here's Elijah again. The enemy of Ahab, the troubler of Israel. That's what Ahab said. Because you've walk, walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat the father, or in the ways of Asa, your, the king of Judah, but you've walked in the, in the way of the kings of Israel, verse 13, and you've made the, inha- and the inhabitants of Israel to go whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab. And you've slain your brothers of thy father's house, which were better than yourself. Behold, a, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. And guess what happened? Just that. Enemies came in. They, they devastated the city. They took all of, all of Jehoram's possessions, his wives, his children. They only left him one son. And then after this, verse 18, he's, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. His intestines began to come out day by day, and it took him two years to die, that horrible disease. And you can read about the medical condition today. It's where your intestines no longer are connected to the inside there, and they, and they just begin to droop out. Horrible. He is wicked pride. And that brings us to number three. You have the unbelieving pride, the wicked pride, and now the rebellious pride. I'm going to 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Asa, King Asa. Three things about him. His rebellion, that stubbornness, that, that thing that just says, I'll do it my way. Remember when... Um, God told Saul to go and exterminate the Amalekites. Don't leave anything remaining. Saul went and did it his way. He liked to go into battle, but he wanted to do it his way, and he brought back the, the spoils, and he brought back Agag alive. And old Samuel told him, he says, rebellion's like the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is, is iniquity and idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. And here Asa goes from being a good man to a bad man because he does things his way. You see his refusal to rely on the Lord. You go back to chapter 14. He is in a real predicament when Zerah, verse 9 of chapter 14, Zerah the Ethiopian comes against him with a million-man army. Asa has an army of 580,000, a little over half of what Zerah has. But here's what Asa does, verse 11 of chapter 14. He cries to the Lord, his God, and he says, It's nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Look at the last two words of chapter 14, verse 11 in Second Chronicles. What are they? Help us. Those are great words. O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So God, God heard his prayer. When you pray that prayer, Lord, help us. That's a good prayer. 
That's right where we should be. That's a humble prayer. Lord, help us. And God, he relied on the Lord, and God took care of him. And God even sent him a, a wonderful reminder at chapter 15, verse 2. At the end of that verse, he says, The Lord's with you while you be with him. If you seek him, he'll be found of you. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. And the Bible says in verse 4 that they did turn to the Lord, and they did seek him. And he was found in them. And there were some great things that took place because of it. But he got too big for his britches. And one day he had some problems with the nation to the north of him, Israel. And in chapter 16, in the 16th year of his reign, Basha came against him and tried to build a fortress city against him to keep people from coming through to him from the north. And so Asa, he gets really clever. He goes to the temple in chapter 16, verse 2, and he pillages it and he takes the gold out of the temple. And he goes up and he pays it to, to the king of Syria, which is farther up north. And he says, break your league with Basha and make a league with me. And you go, you come and attack Basha and get him off my back. And you know what? It works. Asa's a clever man and it works. But he trusts in a heathen king to do his business. And when the prophet shows up in verse 7, Hanani, the prophet rebukes Asa for what he's done. He says, you've relied on the king of Syria and you've not relied on the on the." the on the Lord thy God. Therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of your hand. And then he reminds him back in verse 8. And in verse 8 he says, you trusted in God for the Ethiopians, that million man army. Why can't you trust the Lord now? Verse 9. I love this verse of Second Corinthians, or Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. From henceforth thou shalt have wars. You see, he refused to rely on the Lord. He relied on himself. You know, that's rebellion. That is rebellion. Jeremiah says about the arm of the flesh, the arm of flesh is going to fail you. But the one that will put his trust in the Lord will, will, will prosper. Isaiah said it too in Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 1 where they're rebuked there. Isaiah 31.1, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not to the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Woe to those who won't trust the Lord and try to finagle it and work it out on their own without Him. It's rebellion. He refused to rely on the Lord. And then when the preacher called him on it, in verse 9, verse, verse 10, the Bible says, he was wroth with the seer and he put him in prison. He wouldn't respond to the, the, the preaching of the prophecy of the word of God. And he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And he oppressed some of the people the same time. It's like he comes home and kicks the dog too. He's just an angry man because somebody called him on what he did and told him it was wrong. So he puts the preacher in jail. He oppresses some of the people. The humble response would have been, I think of the passage like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, don't receive it as the word of men, but receive it as it is in truth, the word of God. Don't despise prophesying and the preaching of the Word of God. But, but, and don't quench the Spirit. Be like those of, of, 
um, Berea rather than Thessalonica that received the word and with, with, with an open heart and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Had this man just done that, he wouldn't have responded with this kind of response. And you know what? You get down to verse 12. I mean, he did all of this. He put the preacher in jail and he oppressed the people. And then in verse 12, and in the 30 and ninth year of his reign, he was diseased in his feet until the disease was exceeding great. Yet, watch this, yet in his disease, he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. He's still stubborn in his rebellion. He is not going to rely on God. This is a good man who once relied on God. Now he's not doing it. And he's, and he's got this contest of wills with God. And guess who loses? He does. Exceeding great disease. So you have Asa and his rebellious pride. And then there's Uzziah. We looked at him just a moment ago on the Sunday night. Uzziah in chapter 26 of, of 2 Chronicles. Presumptuous pride. You know what presumption is, don't you? Presumption is God says, here's the line. Don't cross it. Presumption says, it just steps right over the line. That's what Uzziah does. Watch what happens in the passage of Scripture. He's, a, he's, he's prospered. I mean, God blesses him. Chapter 26 of Second Chronicles, verse 5. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So he sought God. He was a good man. But those are troubling words. As long as he sought God, God made him to prosper. You see, there comes a point where that all changes, and it's in verse 15 at the end of the verse. His name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. That's a dangerous point. When a person gets to the point where they're strong, look out. You know, Satan's problem was the problem of pride. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It was old Nebuchadnezzar as he was standing in his palace, and he says, wow, look at this. Look at magnificent Babylon that I have made for myself. And while the words were still in his mouth, he became a, like a dumb beast for seven years. And so here's Uzziah. He does well until he's strong. But then the pride sets in. And when he's strong, it doesn't go well. We know what Scripture says about this. Proverbs 18, verse 12 says this. It says, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. And there are other verses just like this. But he trespasses. The Bible says in the passage, in verse 16, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. There's his pride. For he would transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar. Kings couldn't act as priests. Period. That was Saul's sin that cost him the kingdom originally, before all of his other sins began to come out, he offered that sacrifice, and he wasn't to do that. Uzziah goes in to offer incense, and he, he usurps the priest's office, and that he was not to do it. It was a presumptuous sin. What, what was 
in his head? I don't know. Even the Lord Jesus, when he was on the earth, stayed in his realm. Remember when the, when the one brother came to him and says, Lord, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And what did Jesus say? Who made me a, a ruler and a judge over you? That's not my position. That's not my place. To... Now, someday he will, he will judge all. But on the earth at that point, that was not his business to tell the brother to, to share the inheritance. That was, not, that was not for Jesus to do. And it wasn't for Uzziah to go in and just offer incense. And the priest confronted him, 80 brave men, and told him, it's not for you to do this, and it's not going to be to your honor. And look at the response again, the temper in verse 19. Uzziah was wroth. He had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And all of a sudden, he became a leper. And God smote him because of his pride of presumption. God had smitten him. It tells you that at the end of verse 20. And he was a leper in verse 21 to the day of his death. And he was known in verse 23. They said, he's a leper. In other words, God smote him because of what he did. Presumptuous pride. And the last one is this, and I close. Hezekiah in his unguarded pride. In chapter 32 and verse 24, it says this. I'm just going to tell you the story because we've about run out of time here. Hezekiah is a good man. Hezekiah is a godly man. Hezekiah is known as a pray as the praying king. He prayed once that God would deliver him from the Assyrians, and God sent a death angel and killed 185,000 Syrians in one night. This man could pray, and God heard his prayers. This man was told he's going to die, and he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed, and God heard his prayer, and God gave him another 15 years. So he's a good man, but he also has some guilt. And in his, and in his blessing that God had given and all of the wealth that, you'd, that he was given, if you look in 2 Chronicles 32, and you see from verse 27 down to verse 31, Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, and he made himself treasures for silver and gold and for precious stones and for spices and shields, for all manner of pleasant jewels. And it just goes on to describe all of the wealth of Hezekiah. Verse 31, 2 Chronicles 32, Howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. So here's the deal. God worked marvelously for Hezekiah when he prayed and God delivered him from the Assyrians. The Babylonians heard at the same time that he was sick and that he had been delivered from the Assyrians and that he had been healed from the sickness. And so they sent to him an ambassage to, to, to just to see how he's doing and to greet him. And when they did, the Bible says that God left him. 
God just backed away from Hezekiah to just see what Hezekiah would do with all of this. And he didn't do well. He, in his unguarded moment, he lacked his reserve that he should have had. And the Bible says that he showed them everything he had. You can see it in Kings chapter 20, 2 Kings chapter 20, and I'm just going to read it there. I know I've got to quit. In 12 and 13, matter of fact, I'm going to read 2 Kings 20, 13. Hezekiah hearkened unto them, to these messengers, and he showed them all the house of his, of his precious things, the silver, the gold, and the precious spices, and the precious ointments, and all the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasures. And there was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. And Isaiah the prophet sent to him, he says, what did you do? He says, well, I showed him everything. And he says, yeah, and everything that you showed them one day is going to go to Babylon, including your children. Hezekiah, in his unguarded moment, really boasted. Scripture says, boast not. (laughs) Scripture says to be, be like a child and humble ourselves. But there's one other thing Hezekiah did. Verse 24 of 2 Chronicles 32. 2 Chronicles 32, 24. In those days Hezekiah was sick unto death, and he prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. When God healed him of that sickness, you know, after that great deliverance, and then he was sick, and then when God healed him, he didn't show return to the Lord for the healing. He got full of himself. And so the wrath came upon him and upon Judah because of it. Later he humbled himself, verse 26. But for a while he didn't humble himself. He didn't show return. You know what? That we would guard ourselves from pride that, that doesn't show return to the Lord. There is a wonder. It's almost as if Psalm, 20, Psalm 116 was written by Hezekiah. Almost looks like it. And in this psalm, he says, I love the Lord, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplication, because he's inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. This almost seems like the humbling psalm that he had after, after he humbled himself, after he had been so proud and hadn't shown return. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold of me, and I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return to thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Thou hast delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears my feet from, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living." I believe, therefore I have spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? All right, now he's humbling himself, and now he's going to show some return. I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all the people. 
I'm going to make some return now to the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Oh, Lord, truly, I am thy servant. I'm going to give you myself. I am thy servant and the son of thy handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise thee, the Lord. I'll tell you what, make some return to God. You be his servant, you give him thanks, you keep your promises to him. You take up the cup of salvation and you follow him. Well, there's a lot of interesting things here. I think of the passage in James chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We ought to be broken. We ought to be believing. We ought to do right. We ought to be surrendered. We ought to be careful And friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you ought to humble yourself like a little child and come to Him and say, Lord, help me. I need salvation. He'll save you. Father, thank You for Your Word. Bless now as we close. I pray, Father, that You would humble us so that You can use us as a church and as individuals. Father, may we we not be puffed up. Lord, may You pop our balloon. Lord, would you help us to just be humble, submissive children before you and do what you've asked us to do. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Para Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10.13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead then you may right now pray. And according to Romans 10.13, call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've made a decision to trust Christ, let us know. The number of the offices at Pear Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings, with the worship service at 11, and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.